First John chapter 5, please, tonight, as you find that, verse number 1. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Thank you for the invitation to be at Hopewell Baptist Church. The, one, one of the best churches I know of, honestly. Now, it's always appropriate for a guest preacher to say nice things about the church and nice things about the pastor. But good night, I've been coming here over 37 years. Came and preached here before Brother Ray came. And uh, ever since he's been here, it's just been a blessing. We've had him preach at our place many times. He just did a couple's retreat for us. This year, and our people just loved it. They said that is the best couples retreat we've ever done. Kind of hurt my feelings because I've done one for us before, but <laughs> that's okay. Hey, a prophet's not without honor, saving his own country. And I, you know what? I, I like any preacher's got any sense. If somebody comes in and does your people good and helps them, I'm glad for that. There's no competition between preachers, at least that they talk about. There's no competition there, and. Uh, uh, your pastor, as I said this morning, is a master encourager, very personable. Uh, he pays attention to people, and I appreciate that. And he's been, at, you talk about all those things that I've been for him. He's done every one of those for me many times over and encouraged each other through all sorts of things. Traveling with him is an experience. He is, uh, he, he is a unique person to spend time with. I still remember we were flying somewhere to get, I don't know where, it was a long flight. It was a big plane, two-thirds empty. And after we got up in the air flying for several hours, I said, well, I'll go back and see how Brother Ray's doing. I walked back where I knew he was supposed to be sitting. Couldn't find him. I thought, they threw him off the plane. I can't believe that. That's terrible. And I looked over, and there he was laying between the seats on the floor. I can't fit in there. He did. And <laughs> there he was sleeping, laying on the floor. And uh, we have been in circumstances. I almost brought the video from India where, where we were. I, I never think I've ever shown that here. He and I, it turned out we were handing out tracks in front of a Hindu temple in India and almost got ourselves killed, as a matter of fact. And I, I, I didn't bring that. That would have been a great missions video. <laughs> I was, we were there. I got to tell you this. We were there at this village, it's a village, 20, 30,000 people. And we were at this pastor's house who did not have, uh, it was a nice house, two-story house, if I remember right, didn't have indoor plumbing. So the man knew we were coming. My, my wife was with us and uh, Mrs. Rue. This pastor knew we were coming. He built a bathroom behind his house, bricked it, toilet, sink, didn't have a ceiling or a door on it, but they were, they were working on it, finishing it when we pulled up. And uh, then we were having lunch in his house. And your pastor is like the soul winner of the universe. And you go with him anywhere. You're, he's either going to be witnessing to somebody or you're going to be witnessing with him to somebody. And he was sitting there having lunch. And he said, hey, Brother Johnson, let's go hand out some tracks. So we grab a fistful of tracks. We go down oh, a block or two from the pastor's house. Looked like a big corrugated tin. Looked like a, a corn bin is what it looked like something for grain or whatever. And we're standing in front of this thing, handing out tracks and I'm videotaping it. And the pastor there, the Indian pastor told us, now they had beat up the pastor there in that town before and that kind of stuff. And so while we're doing that, all of a sudden this man, tall, big Indian guy comes up and brother Ray hands him a track. Hello, sir. How are you? He goes, who told you you could do that? Who gave you permission to come here? Who said you could do this? And brother Ray, you know, well, sir, we're just here because God loves you and we wanted to give you a track and tell people that God loves them and they could know how they could go. Who said you could do this? Who said that? And he was just kind of 
pointing his finger at him and talking to him. Well, as soon as he started that, all of a sudden, these men just started to gather around us. And after what the pastor had said had happened, I thought, uh oh. So I was videotaping it, so I put my tracks in my back pocket. <laughs> and I backed up and I thought, I'm, I'm going to record the kill so Verna can know what happened to him when it's over. <laughs> and I was videotaping. And these guys are gathering around. They weren't doing anything, they were just kind of, they were more curious than anything else. But not this guy. This one dude was like, hey, what do you think? Who do you think you are? Who gave you permission to come to our village? And Brother Ray was saying, we're just here because, you know, we love you and we wanted you to know about Jesus. And, Everything else. Who said that was good? Who told you? Would you have permission from what's it? Finally, Brother Ray looks at me and goes, What do you think, Brother Johnson? I said, Tell him we don't understand. Let's walk off. He goes, uh, And we, so we just start to walk off. I'll be honest with you, the first thing I thought was, These guys are going to jump on us. And I just bought this camera. <laughs> They're going to tear up this brand new video camera, and we're going to get beat half to death in a village in India somewhere. And, uh, and I thought, but uh, it's not a problem. I got Brother Ray with me. He'll handle all of them. It's not a problem. <laughs> then I thought, all I got to do is outrun Brother Ray. That's all I have to do. And we just walked off. They didn't mess with us anymore like that. We get back to the pastor. Well, the, you could see the pastor's house from where we were standing. And we're walking along. And we just kind of kept glancing over our shoulders to see if they were following us. They didn't. And I said, well, we can't just go in the house. They know where it is. They see us. That guy could get in trouble. Let's go down the street, turn a corner, maybe come around back. And we did. We got in the house. It was fine. We're sitting down. We're going to have lunch. And the pastor, the Indian pastor, was with us. Where were you guys? And we said, we were handing out tracks in front of that corn bin up there, whatever that was. He goes, no, that's a Hindu temple. You're, you're standing in front of a Hindu temple handing out Jesus tracks that said, death is coming. And we went, oh. <laughs> One of many experiences I've had with your pastor, very near death, and that was, I thought we were going to get martyred right there in India, but uh, we made it. But it's always been a privilege to be with him. It's always an experience. You have to watch him all the time. He'll try to do stuff, and we won't go into all those, all right? First John chapter 5, verse 1. Would you stand with me as you're able tonight? First John 5 and verse number 1. I always, I always feel at home at Hopewell Baptist Church. I always feel like, you know, this is kind of like a second home, and I appreciate that. Now that I'm retired, I'm thinking about making it a second home. We stay in this nice room over here. I could, I could live there. This is a microwave. You know, we got it. We can make it go. Uh, but don't worry, we're not going to live here. First John chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. We always say grievous. There's no I in there. Grievous. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now here's my statement tonight. We'll launch on this. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our military. And I love the military. Don't you? Yeah, thank you. I do too. Now, verse 4. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our finances. What's that last word, church? Wait a minute. You mean to tell me our faith overcomes the world. Didn't say would. It said this is the victory. Well, look at verse 4 again. It says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world. That's not potential. That's statement of fact. 
our faith overcomes the world? Father, help us tonight, please. I pray in Christ's name. Please be seated. The world, the world. Do you understand the word world in the Bible? I'm talking about the earth. It's all you dirt worshiping, tree hugging fools. Just listen to me carefully. The world in the Bible means the word cosmos. It means an ordered, arranged system of things. Well, from our Bible, we know what that world is talking about. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we know that Satan is the God of that world. Now, little G God, but he has power. He has great power. Not exalting the devil, but we do. You live in the reality that Satan is powerful in who he is and what he does. And he is the God, the deity of that system of the world. And that system of the world, ladies and gentlemen, encompasses the four corners of this earth. When I preach mission stuff, I talk about how Satan has a program for world missions. And he does. It's amazing. You go to places today. We're out in Africa and Kenya, out in the bush. We hadn't, seen a, we hadn't seen a building or anything for forever. And all of a sudden, here comes a guy walking down the, walking down the dirt road with a, with a Kobe Bryant t-shirt on. The Maasai people out there in the bush taking care of their cattle in lion country. All these really tall black men. And they're out there with their spears and with their, their, their swords, their long knives. And they live in, in lion country while they're tending cattle. And they're, they're, they're migratory. They travel around wherever there's feed and you'd see a, a mud hut out there about that high off the ground and about eight feet long. And that's what they build those. They crawl in there and sleep at night and crawl out. But it was, I can't tell you how many times I saw a satellite dish on top of one of those things. Because Satan's system covers this earth. Now listen to me. Satan's system encompasses billions of people who have bought into that system. They're controlled by it. They live by it. It is, as we compare it to biblical Christianity, it is greater in force and number than we are. The Bible says, however, our faith overcomes that system. Now, when I first read that, I thought to myself, you mean what we believe? Well, see, that's the problem. We consider faith to be just what we believe. Really? We just something we believe. Faith is more than what we believe. We understand biblically that faith means three things. Faith means I believe God. Faith means I trust the word of God. And listen to me. And faith means the God I believe and the Bible I trust, I live by that. See, look at me. Faith that's just in the mind doesn't overcome the world. Faith that's just at church doesn't overcome the world. Faith that is not faith without works is dead being alone, the Bible said. Now look at me. Real faith, biblical faith. Biblical faith that activates God. Biblical faith that moves God. Biblical faith that Hebrews chapter 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then from Hebrews 11, what does it give you? A whole list of people who did amazing things by faith. Come on, you build an ark, ladies and gentlemen, for a flood that's never happened and rain that never fell. You build a flood like that with you, your wife, and your three sons and their wives, and you do that over a hundred year period of time on a handful of verses, but you operated on that by faith. Who, who was wise? Noah looked like a fool for a hundred years until the first raindrop fell, and then he was really smart and who overcame the world. Noah, by faith, did this. Abraham and Sarah, by faith, had a son when they were later in later years of life. By faith. No, see, we've got, when I first read that, I was thinking like most Christians would. 
What we believe overcomes the world doesn't look like it to me. You know why? Because it, what, we're, what we're facing is a system that is empowered by the most demonic power in the universe with a faith that couldn't blow the fuzz off a peanut. Because we have faith that's just here, but not here. We have faith that's here, but not here. We have faith that we bring the church with us, leave it in the building and go home and go back and do whatever the world wants. See, we got Christians today who are all encompassed into the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, the truth is when the Bible said, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. We're squabbling about an article of clothing. We're squabbling about some music. We're squabbling about a friendship and wonder why that kind of faith doesn't over overcome the world because there's too much of the world in it. Remember what Moody said, D.L. Moody said, the church is like a ship on the ocean. The church is the ship. The ocean is the world. And as long as you got the ship on the ocean, you're fine. You get the ocean in the ship, you got problems. And that's what's happened today. We got too much ocean in our ship. We got too much of that system that Satan operates in our living, our thinking, our conduct, our behavior, what we do, too much. Child, average person, young person today sees their first pornography today in America at the age of 11. That's also the age they take their first drop of liquor. And most of them do it in the house where they live, where their parents' liquor cabinet is. And most of them do it because they have unfettered access to the internet. I do not know a young person who does not have access to the internet, and that goes for adults too, who doesn't eventually start messing up in their life. You know why? Because they get caught up by the world. Our, that kind of faith doesn't overcome the world. The faith it's talking about here is a different kind of faith than even we understand to a degree. It's a faith that's genuine. We talked to you this morning about I know whom I have believed. Knowing him, knowing the Lord, and having a real relationship and real situation between you and God that's real. Well, let's talk about a real faith. A real faith that pushes back darkness. A real faith that dispenses the truth. A real faith that, faith that makes a difference. That kind of faith. In the Bible, it describes faith in two ways. It talks about a personal faith. My faith, our faith. Then verse number four, it talks about even our faith that overcomes the world. That's personal. That means it's what you have. Kind of faith that faces cancer. Kind of faith that faces obstacles. Kind of faith that faces a world today that has outnumbered us, seemingly overpowered us, then what do we do? Do we cower in our faith or do we stand up for what we believe and do what's right? That's a personal faith. Then there is what's called the faith in the Bible. When the Bible uses that expression, the faith, it's talking about the collective body of all of what we believe. Now we got Christians today who say, well, you guys, you fundamentalists, you major on the minors. I agree that there are things that we believe that are of greater priority than others. Salvation would be like, the top of the list. Would you agree? Then your walk with God. I mean, I understand that. There are, there are things that have greater priority. They know minor doctrines in the Bible. They're all important. The collect, yeah, that's right. I said they're all important. The collective body of our faith, the faith, those things. Look at me. My personal faith, our collective personal faith, and the faith. 
taking the word of God like I'm going to believe every part of it, live by every part of it, not excuse myself. I love, I love these Christians. They, they, they get dispensational. Well, I'm not so sure, Pastor Johnson, that uh, that particular belief happens to be for this dispensation. And if you ask them what that meant, they're thinking about something that puts out toilet paper in the bathroom. They really don't understand what they don't. They get all dispensational about things. Fascinating. And there are dispensational truths in the Bible, but there's few of them. Most all of that, friend, works, applies. The question is this. Do you have real faith that says I, sir, believe God. I'm going to trust his word to the point I'm going to do what it tells me to do. You're talking about this thing about missions and the emphasis you're going to have missions over these next few weeks. You, I hope you understand something, people. What this church does about missions determines the longevity of Hopewell Baptist Church. If this church doesn't care about missions, God's going to close the doors on this place. He'll pull the Ichabod on us and it'll be over and done. So this thing about giving to missions, the average Christian spends one penny a day on missions. Toed it up. That's $3.65 a year. Well, you'll drop more than that and go buy and get a cup of coffee somewhere. Huh? When we know this, we know it costs $1 to save a soul. $1. So could you imagine what would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if God's people took the principle of faith missions giving and did that this week, got ready for this thing and came and did what they're supposed to do. I've done two missions conferences in the last three weeks, as a matter of fact. And the truth is in both places, they've seen, we've seen them double their missions giving. Now look at me. You, you, that's taking what you believe and getting it into your wallet. Look at me. That's the faith that overcomes the world. Now let me show you something tonight real quickly if I could. How does faith overcome the world? Back up to chapter 4. Now keep your Bibles open. Chapter 4 and verse number 1. Do you see the statement there? Chapter 4 and verse 1 shows us how our faith overcomes the world. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1, 1 John. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know how faith overcomes the world? Because your faith, if it's real, if it's genuine, gives you discernment. When it says try the spirits, it doesn't mean go out and sample them. No, no. I think I'll try this spirit today. And I think I'll try that one over there and see how this is. I think I, I feel good about this one. I made a statement in our church not long before I retired. I probably made it because I knew I was going to. I don't care about people's feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that you have your feelings hurt. But ladies and gentlemen, we're way too concerned about our feelings. Yeah, that's right. We're way too concerned about our feelings. You order a hamburger in a restaurant and the waitress will say, uh, is that how you're feeling today? I just want a cotton picking hamburger, man. I don't, it's not about how I feel about it. Oh, you're, oh, you're feeling good about that thing? I'm not in a good place in my life. Get GPS! I, you know, it's amazing to me because of how our feelings are nowadays. No, 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 no. You don't go out and try the spirits. It means put them on trial. And if I have the right kind of faith, it gives me discernment to live in this world surrounded by all the spirits of this world. Spirits in the Bible doesn't mean, you know, like boogeyman stuff. It, it means philosophy, way of thinking. This world is changing Christians' minds about what the Bible says. You can't tell, you can't tell, oh, come on, I don't care whether this is popular or not, I'm retired so I can just go on and do what I want to. But the bottom line is this, you can't tell me, hey, look at me, if you are 40 years of age or older, would you stand up please? 
I know we're getting you to admit your age. Guys don't care. Women go, well, I'm ruined. That's okay. Don't go in the bathroom and throw over it. Throw up over it. Okay. You, you can't tell me 40 years of age or older. You can't tell me when you were a kid in a sandbox that your little buddy looked at you and said, I think I'm a girl today. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me that anybody ever questioned their gender 20 years ago. Ah, but watch now. Listen to me. You say, well, you're picking on those people. I'm telling you the world is changing us about what God said as a man and a woman. And Christians are buying into that. And, well, gay marriage, homosexual marriage. Well, that's love. No, it's not. It's unscriptural. God made a man and God made a woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Put them together. And that's a husband and a wife. Been that way since the beginning. But the, some of you put your head down. You don't like that. See, you've already bought into this thing. Now listen to me. We're supposed to be able to put the spirits on trial. And if I have real faith, it will give me discernment to look at it and say, this is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. This is biblical. This is not. It gives you discernment. Thank you. Please be seated. It's amazing to me how today we're getting sucked up by things. We're listening to prophets. You people that chase YouTube, TikTok, and all these idiots, some knucklehead sitting in a garage somewhere with a YouTube channel, Hawaiian shirt, and a pair of shorts, and all of a sudden, he becomes the prophet of your life, and the man of God stands in the pulpit, preaches the Bible, and you go, you know, I'm not sure about that. What happened to us? You, get, you see, you're not putting things on trial. You get involved in stuff internet-wise, and you don't even know who these people are, where they come from, what they believe, or what they're doing. But it just sounds good to you. I'm not supposed to go by what sounds good to me. I'm supposed to go by what sounds right in the Bible. See, biblical faith. Believe God. Trust his word and act upon it. Obey what the word of God tells me. It gives me discernment. I can try the spirits whether they are of God or not. Please tell me, Hopewell Baptist Church has not bought into this. You're not supposed to judge principle. Say, well, you're not supposed to. Matthew 7 verse 1 says you're not supposed to. But that's not all it says. It does condemn hypocritical judgment. Where you judge somebody for what you're doing in your own life. That's the judgment that's condemned. And whenever somebody tells you you're not supposed to judge, you look at them and say, don't judge me for judging. Because that's what they're doing. They're judging your judgmentalism. Huh? They say, you old preachers, you're all so critical. Well, don't criticize my criticism. Just because the dude's got britches on so tight, it takes Crisco to get on his legs and get them things pulled up somehow or another and does it with a smile. I'm up here all grouchy and mean. They say, I'm being critical. They're being critical of my criticism. Do you get it? Are you with me? Yeah, they're judging our judgmentalism and they're criticizing our criticism. And we're going, those guys are right. No, if it's wrong, don't do that. Okay, anyway, I got to get off this point. This is... It's going over like a ham sandwich at a Jewish picnic. But, but, but stay with me. Faith overcomes the world because I, living by faith, can discern and not be taken in by spirits and false prophets. Faith gets your eyes open. You know how faith overcomes the world? Look at verse number 4 of 1 John chapter 4. Look at it. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who's the he in the world? The devil. Who's the he in you? That's Jesus. And greater is he. You know what? When you have faith, you know how what faith does? Faith helps you to defeat the devil in your life and around you. See this Bible right here? Look at me. Here's a simple example. See this Bible right here? I've had this Bible for 40 years. 
It has been everywhere in the world with me. Look at that thing. It's just falling apart. I keep getting it rebounds. A man in my church till he got Parkinson's could rebind my Bible for me. And this Bible right here got stolen. My wife and I were driving down to Visalia to preach for Brother Benefield. We stopped at a restaurant in Sacramento to get something to eat. We just sat down and the manager comes up to us and says, do you drive a silver CRV, Honda, whatever it is? I drive a Honda, American-made Honda. Amen, made in Alabama. And I said, well, yeah, I do. She goes, somebody just smashed the back window and stole stuff out of your car. And I went out there and I had my briefcase back there with my Bible in it, tablet, all my mess, a bunch of outlines and my calendar and stuff. Plus, we had our golf clubs back there in our clothes. Well, the back window wasn't that big. Two guys pulled up our car and the car next to us, took a tire iron, boom, popped the back window, reached in, couldn't pull the big stuff out. So he saw my briefcase, pulled my briefcase out. In that briefcase was this Bible. I've had this Bible for 40 years. I have preached everywhere in the world with this thing. It isn't just a copy of the Bible. It's, it's like a friend to me. When I came out there, I saw the glass and I looked in and I said, well, they didn't get my golf clubs, thank God. But I looked in there and I go, oh, but they got my briefcase and there goes my Bible. And you know what they're going to do with it. They're going to open it up, see the Bible, throw it in the trash, throw it in the field somewhere and just go on. And I would never get this Bible back again. This one that they stole. So we had to fill out a police report. The man next to me was a businessman flying into Sacramento, going up to Seattle, rented a car. They stole his clothes. His briefcase, his suitcase, stole his clothes. We fill out a, a police report. We exchange phone numbers, stay in touch in case something came up. I called Brother Benefield. We're in Sacramento. I said, they just stole all my stuff. I mean, all the sermons I brought to preach, my Bible, everything's gone. He said, well, you want to cancel the meeting? I said, no, brother, let's not let the devil win. I'll just come down there and preach. And so I'm driving down to Visalia. My heart was broken over my Bible more than anything else. Then I'm starting to think of how many messages could I preach just off the top of my head. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'll use a Gideon Bible in the hotel. Well, they're New King James and not even Bibles anymore. My wife had a Bible. It was pink. So I preached, I preached for three nights out of a pink Bible with notes scrambled on a piece of paper from a motel. I got to church that Monday night, told people what happened. I said, please pray. I said, I, I, I know it's like hopeless, but I, maybe God could somehow, I want to get my Bible back, please, some way. And they began to pray. I left church that Monday night. My phone rings. The businessman I was, got ripped off next to me called me. He said, I got your Bible. He said, they, they took your briefcase and my, some of my stuff and they threw it outside of Starbucks. That's a wicked place. That symbol on that thing, that's satanic. Something, something honoring the devil about that place. And <laughs> he said, I got your Bible. I'm driving to Seattle. I'll drop it off at the church on the way. They, kept, they gave me my calendar back, my outlines. They stole my, my tablet. And, and I went back to church that next night. I told the people, I said, they, they got my Bible back. I can't believe it. And they said, oh, they said, isn't that nice? Those guys were kind enough to give your Bible back. I go, no, man, they broke the window in my car and they stole my stinking tablet. These are not heroes. They're thieves. <laughs> Somebody, those two thieves looked in that briefcase, saw all those outlines and my Bible. And they thought, uh-oh, we just ripped off a preacher. We better get rid of this stuff. But God, God got me my Bible back. Look, look at me. That's a small piece of how we look at stuff and say, yeah, he got stolen. You know what? Yeah. And I found out my insurance company covered it. Glass was paid for. It didn't cost us a nickel. All this kind of stuff happened. It was amazing. 
The devil got my stinking tablet. Big deal. I can get another one. But I got my Bible back. Hey, look at me. The devil didn't win. Still preached the meeting. Still saw God work. Still got my Bible back. God still honored it. God took care of it. Wait a minute. But you know, brother Ray, you do this. You got a carrying case. You go somewhere. You buy something. You got change. You're going to carry your pocket. I just throw it in my briefcase. Well, I don't know how much change was in this thing. The lady who found the Bible, who called the the businessman, because there were business cards laying there, she called him. This lady who found the briefcase, I get an email from her a week later. And she says, Brother Johnson, I, I, I got your briefcase back. And I got to tell you, honestly, I took the coins out of that. I was, my husband was out of work. And it's about $4.50 worth of coins. And I bought a loaf of bread and, and a gallon of milk. And I felt so bad about it ever since. I stole from you. If you'll give me your address, I'll mail you that $4.50 back. And I, I emailed her back and I said, I am coming after you. I'm going to get every nickel out of your carcass for sticking. I said, no, ma'am, you just keep that money and God bless you. I thought, whoa, the power of God's on my briefcase, for goodness sakes. And they got convicted about stealing $4.50 from me, for goodness sake. You say, well, Pastor John, that's just one incident. I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you live by faith. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, but not with Mickey Mouse faith. Not with fooling around, shallow faith that couldn't blow. Look at me. Some people's faith, if they rated it in terms of gasoline, couldn't drive an old ant's go-kart around the inside of a Cheerio one time without stopping for gas twice because you ain't got enough faith to back the devil up on nothing. However, Ephesians 6 and verse 16 tells me part of my armor is the shield of faith. Satan, listen to me, the devil's not greater than you and God. That's right. Yeah. The, I said the devil is not greater than you and God. I don't care if he's got billions of people following him. It takes one person by faith to build an ark and defy the entire world. All it takes is just a handful of people who honored God, took the great commission, and turned the world upside down in their days. You know why? Because they had real faith. Not that mental stuff of, well, yeah, I believe what that says. No, no, no. You believe God, you trust his word, and you act upon it. That kind of faith defeats the devil. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Notice this quickly. Look at verse 5 and 6. You know what else faith does? <laughs> faith reveals a distinctive. Look at verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and error. They of the world, we of God. You know what our faith does, how it overcomes the world? It reveals a distinctive between us and the world in which we live. Now look here, look here. Too many Christians have this attitude in their lives and they're thinking, boy, we gotta, we gotta go to church. It's Sunday night. You could be home watching the recap of how the Raiders lost today. I'm Sunday night. Did they lose? Yes, of course they did. So did the Bears, so it's okay. But the truth of the matter is, you know what? Here, I, it's Sunday night, and I'm in church getting screamed at by some idiot from Reading who's retired and ought to take it easy. Here we are. Oh, no, what? Now, it's hot outside, and I got to wear my clothes. Oh, no, I can't listen to that kind of music. And we got Christians who are absolutely apologetic apologetic for what they believe and you let the world tell you what you ought to be doing in your life. That's, you got a cult going on down there. It's a cult. 
They're telling you how to live your life. Of course, the world does. Hello, I said the world does. Hello, I said the world does. The world tells you, you ought to be one of them, act like them, talk like them, look like them, behave like them, do what they do. And if you don't, you're in a cult. No, if you do, you're in their cult. The truth of the matter is, see, it creates a distinctive. People look at us and say, well, you don't understand. You guys are in bondage. You're in bondage to the Bible. You're in bondage to Jesus. May I say this evening, guilty. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. You know what? Prisoners lose their rights. Prisoners lose their privileges. Prisoners are treated in a way that's appropriate by the jailer. Well, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. But here you go. Watch me now. I've been a prisoner of the devil. I know what that's like too. Yeah, he's a warden also who takes and doesn't give. And here are these people who can't keep married. They can't keep their life together. They can't keep straightened out. They can't live right. They're depressed. They're, they're going through battles. They're having every kind of medication they can think of. And they're telling you, you got a problem. No, I don't have a problem. I don't have that problem. I don't have this. It creates a distinctive wherever we are, wherever we go, however we live, there's a distinctive between us and this world. Amen. Let me use you two brothers right here. Red and, red and white. Come on up here. <laughs> stand right there. You stand right there. Okay, here is a Christian. Pushing my luck. Here's a Christian, all right? And this is the world. Nailed it, didn't I? Yeah, it's perfect. And the Bible says, and the world passeth away, all right? So whenever I say that statement, I want you to go very slowly that direction right over there, okay? You got it? Do I need to write it down for you? You're okay? You sure? Okay. <laughs> all right, good. Here we go. So here's the Christian and here's the world. And the Bible tells us that the world passeth away. Go slowly. That's not, that's too fast. Come here, come here. <laughs> and the world passeth away. Good. And the child of God, the Bible says, 1 John 2, 17, is to abide forever. But here's what most Christians think separation from the world is. I just keep my distance from the world. And while the world's passing away, and most Christians today are just keeping their distance because the world passeth away, here's what happens. Stop right there. Now, the Christian is where the world used to be. And don't you see it? What people embrace today by lifestyle, music, and stuff like that is stuff the world used to do 25, 30 years ago. Okay, but that's not how it's supposed to work. Let's back up here. Huh? And when the Bible says, and the world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Biblical position, you hold your stand. You do what you're supposed to do. You live by the Bible. Now, here's the real problem with that going on now. And that is this. I tell you to stop. <laughs> the gap between us and the world is getting wider and wider and wider and wider and wider. Now you can stop before you fall over. Okay. And for most Christians, that's too much. Yeah, there was a time the world was a little bit closer to what we were as Christians. You're talking the 1920s and 30s. 2023? Uh-uh. And what happens? We back off on our faith and decide it's just better if we just keep our distance. So we're not as messed up as the world is. We're not as, we're not as thinking like the world is. But look at me. Now we are what the world used to be. 
And now we're all caught up in the stuff the world was 20, 30 years ago. They still think we're out of tune, but the truth of the matter is we're not out of tune. We are following the wrong example. What we need to be is what God would have us to do, and that is he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We hold our biblical position, and when you do, it creates a distinctive. Now, for what purpose? So do we need to have our Baptist burkas on now? And do we need to have a little sign that says, I'm a child of God? You don't have to do that anymore. You just live right. You stand out like a sore thumb wherever you are, whatever you do, wherever you are. You got that part. You got that part? Are you with me? Even in your own family, they're looking at you like, what is up with you people down there at Hopewell Baptist Church, for goodness sake? Come on! Even Christians today think there's something wrong with us when they are the ones who change, not us. The issue of it isn't that we're better than everybody else. Our living should be. Our attitude should never be superior, but our living should be. But watch me. The only way they who go that direction could ever come back is we hold our ground. You see, they'll find something out. Their God is not greater than the God of the Bible. They'll find out what they have gained. They're going to lose anyway. Then what? Okay, thank you, fellas. Be seated. Okay, we'll finish. I'll say this and finish tonight very quickly. You, you know the, the parable Jesus taught about two men who built houses. Remember that one? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Huh? Luke chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. When you read that parable, doesn't it strike you that both men built good houses? It wasn't, look at me, it wasn't what was above the ground that mattered. It was what, was what you couldn't see that mattered. Both men built. One guy built on the sand, went over there one day and said, okay, here we go. Right there. And they start building. This fool over here is digging. Luke 7, digging deep to find the rock to build his house. While he's digging, this guy over here has already got the place framed up, walls, everything else. He's got the deck. He's got the big barbecue. He's got everything. He's good to go. And while he is done with his house, beautiful house. Jesus didn't say he built a bad house. He just said he built his house. While he's done and he's got his house built, he's sitting on the deck sipping Bud Light and eating shrimp off his barbie. And over here, this fool is still digging down. But he digs down and finds the rock. That's God, the Bible. And then he builds his house. Now they've got two beautiful houses. Everything looks good till, till the storm comes. And the guy with the nice house and the Barbie and the Bud Light, boop, his house falls. And the Bible said great was the fall of it. How many more times do we have to see people who build beautiful lives, beautiful situations, only to see them fall flat on their face? Before we realize the distinctive of living by faith, ladies and gentlemen, that distinctive helps them to understand that's what they need to turn from. You don't need to put up an old house again on sand. Let's get back over here and build that on the rock of Jesus Christ. And they get there. Now, it may take time because it did. It took time for the man who dug deep to build his house. Took time to get that. Took time to build his house. But when the storm came, his house stood, his house fell. How many more times are we going to watch people's lives fall flat and then while they they told us all along, well, you guys are wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 blah. And we let the world back us off. No, we're not going to back off. We're going to live by faith, biblical faith, real faith. And you know what happens? <laughs> that faith overcomes the world. Then the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ rise first. All those houses they built. At the end of seven-year tribulation, two-thirds of the world's population is dead, and this entire earth is devastated. And where are we? 
Well, if your doctrine's right, we're pre-trib. Pre-tribulation, we go up. Then whose faith? Our faith overcomes this world. Let's stand our feet, please, tonight. But it needs to be real faith. Some of us have got to get faith from the mind to the heart, to the feet, to the wallet, to the schedule, to our conduct, to our behavior, what we are, what we do, how we live our lives, what we, how we conduct ourselves. One more time. It's got to be something bigger than what we are at church. It's got to be where we go, what we do, and how we live 24-7 all the days of our lives. That kind of faith overcomes the world. Well, pastor is just looking at it. It just seems like it's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the bottom line is this. The Bible says even our faith overcomes the world. Yeah, you just hang in there and stay faithful with God on this thing. Some of you got, you got family and they've intimidated you into backing off on what you believe and what you do as a Christian. Don't, don't shove it down their throat. Don't argue with them. I don't argue with people. I don't try to explain a jackhammer to a monkey and I'm not going to argue with a person who doesn't believe the Bible. Don't, no, no, don't be diminutive. Don't be argumentative about it. Don't be fussing with folks on it. Don't debate with people about it. Don't do it. It's not necessary. Not. All you need to do is live your faith. Live real faith. Live faith that digs deep and finds that rock of the word of God and the son of God and build your life on that. And when the storms come, we stand, they don't make it. Isn't it fascinating, even this last round of virus that came around us and all that kind of stuff. Isn't it interesting how well Christians who lived by God, for God, how well they did with this? Didn't mean we didn't have folks die. But for a child of God, what happens when we die? <laughs> That's not a bad situation. And if we don't, then what happens? Then God's on us. We got time. He took care of us. I got news for you, man. I wasn't waiting on the government to feed me. I'm still not waiting on the government to feed me. I'm not waiting on the government to provide for my needs. The God of heaven that I try to live by, his word, he's the one who's taking care of things. I, even our faith overcomes this world.